Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, we're going to finish up on the, really, the, the you left everybody just on pins and needles on yeah. the edge of their seats wondering, did Joseph Smith die in 1834? Well, it, yeah, did he drown in four inches of water? <laughs> that, I mean, Richard... Looked up the statistics for us from the University of Rochester. University of Rochester, and a now, child, I did say child, a child could drown in in less than or an inch or less of water. It's true, and and that's a serious thing. It is, and so four five. So inches. what was their statistics on fake preachers attempting to perform miraculous stunts by walking on water, but instead have planks? tied to the bottom of the miry pond, which they're walking on that people can't see, but then someone cut out the plank and that's the reason why they fell and then died in the water. Eight to nine inches. Okay. Of so, water. So, so that, that's what they said. So University so of Rochester had those statistics. It's very specific. It's, this is the most specific survey of all time. Um, and how much uh, water for someone 13 to 14? Okay. And how much water uh, for 50 to 17? And how much water for a fake preacher attempting to convince people? That well, I he's... believe he's a real preacher. <laughs> well, if the religion's fake. Okay. Well. I mean, you know what? We don't have his name, so we don't know what he is. Well, we later find his name. Well, later people invent his name. I see. Yeah. Well, so before before we get into that uh, If you haven't listened finish. to last week, you kind of need to go back and listen to last week. Now, I know what you're thinking. Garrett, I didn't want to listen to it last week. I didn't want to listen to it this week. I've been arrested in Idaho, yeah. and I've been forced to listen yeah. to it. Officer R has me in the back of his car. I don't know what this is, but at least give me some gambling tips. And we did. We did. Yeah. Of a game that ended, a basketball game that ended three weeks prior to when you heard it. I feel or like two weeks. that's the best way. I mean, you can always feel like when you listen to us that you are you know, Marty McFly from Back to the Future 2. And that you you Biff. went back, yeah. Well, you're Biff. Well, but you you you, you got, got the gambling. You got tips. the gambling yeah. tips after it already happened. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just uh, we just need a DeLorean. Get this sucker up to eighty eight, and you're going to be doing great. Well, Garrett, so so we are going to go through just a couple of just short emails that don't really ask any questions, which are our favorite kind our, of email. Our favorite emails. Hey, uh, you guys are doing great. Either great condemn show as us always. to hell or. Well, those uh, are our favorites. Those are our favorites. The they, ones that call us to repentance. The ones that tell us that we're going to burn. Oh, are you going to burn? <laughs> You're going to cook the barbecues already piled. So uh, the subject line is premium content. Um, and by the way, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of premium content emails, but not a lot of tour emails. Uh, we are going on a tour the first true. week of June. We'd like, which was referred to as our Swampland tour <laughs> by one of our listeners. That's, well, that's well, that's the Nauvoo. Is oh, that, yeah. that yeah, that's the Nauvoo tour. Yeah, that, that one's, one's full. full. That yeah. one's been sold out for the Swampland tour has been sold out for a while. We still still do have available seats in in uh, for the uh, Palmyra Kirtland. 
Palmyra, Kirtland, Baltimore. Baltimore. We've got uh, Gettysburg. I mean, it's 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 a pretty fun tour. It's it's one that's one of my favorite. So this one comes to us on uh, from a, a soon to be missionary. Uh, my name is Colton. I'm from Idaho Falls, Idaho. Okay, all right. He's from he's from the homeland. He is, and so anyone from Idaho, even if you're not from Idaho, say you're from Idaho. Yeah, you're that's the best way. I'm from Idaho. What part of Idaho? Detroit. <laughs> from Detroit, Idaho. I heard you guys uh, that you guys allow missionaries to have access to your premium content for free. Colton, yes, we do. While I received my mission call back in August, I have been called to serve in the New Zealand-Auckland mission, wow. speaking English. Auckland, the Idaho Falls of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people who emails from Idaho Falls saying that they're in Auckland. It's a very weird. <laughs> it's another way to try to get premium content. I leave uh, for the New Zealand MTC December 13th. I will tell you, now that's when you want to go. You escape another Idaho Falls winter by going... And summering in, uh, in New Zealand. We, we have a member of our ward in New Zealand. Garrett and I have uh, have spent some time in New Zealand. Wow. Well, we, 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 we vacationed we there. We took a cruise there. It was amazing. And yeah. we learned that seals are like bears. Only we were told it in a much more high-pitched accent. Yeah. We, we were told. So it was, it was funny. They were trying to warn us to stay away from the seals by comparing the seals to bears yeah. but the way that they did it is that they called the bears 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 yeah you got those things like bears they're like bears <laughs> and it it was so high pitched and i mean first of all anyone from new zealand ends every sentence on an with upswing. an up inflection yeah. and so everything sounds like a question and everything sounds so polite oh, no so ma- nice no matter what it is we had a very cantankerous bus driver yeah who was, he was very angry. Yeah. But it sure sounded like he was the happiest person anyone had ever met because every one of his angry stories ended up on this up inflection. <laughs> yeah. So we learned that seals are like bees. Anyway, you're, New Zealand's lovely, uh, the missionary that's in our ward uh, that uh, talks about it does so glowingly. And it's a wonderful, beautiful place full of wonderful people and uh, we wish you the best of luck in Auckland, and uh, I've already given you uh, access by the time that you're hearing this, oh. and hopefully you enjoy them. I highly recommend, for those that are preparing for their mission, the the Joseph Smith and the Restoration podcasts, where Garrett spends a lot of time going through and talking about the apostasy, uh, the Reformation, and provides a lot of additional context to... Uh, the beliefs of our other Christian brothers and sisters, as well as setting the table for us to talk about our beliefs sometime in 2026. So that that's where we're at. Is at some point we're gonna... well, I'm ambitious and I'm I'm hopeful that that we'll get because <laughs> we're we're in the 1500s. No, yes, no, we we're we're basically knocking on the door of the 1600s at this. Point. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. We're, right. well, and we're gonna go fast. No, we're not. You're well, we're going to go into the Dutch Reform. Well, that, I'm, I'm Dutch. Re- yeah, boy, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. that's that's 2024 time, right there. How much time am I going to spend on the, the Spanish of- Civil War with? I mean, <laughs> with with the Dutch. I mean, that's well, the Synod of Dort's going to be uh, literally all of all the spring it's, it's and be summer. Three episodes just to describe Dort. <laughs> anyway, what, Col- he, what else did he have to say? Uh, something, something, something about how handsome we are. Oh, I doubt uh, it. Um, I absolutely love what you guys do on your podcast. 
is giving me a better understanding of our early church history. And regardless of what Garrett says, his mom is not the only one that listens to the podcast. Well, actually, Colton, that is true. Um, you and Garrett's Yeah, mom. and also my aunt. Uh, my aunt oh. Kathy listens, and she likes to text me after nearly every episode. Providing, providing some show notes. Uh, her and her family are long-time, uh, well, were long-time Oklahoma residents. Oh, so go after, Pokes? Yeah, uh, not, not Oklahoma State. No. Boomer Sooners? Yeah, boomer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. So after uh, yeah, we lamented the end of the Oklahoma-BYU game, the within, I don't know, half an hour of that podcast dropping, my aunt texted and said, we were actually pretty happy with the ending <laughs> of the Oklahoma game. It was a very, very, very trolling thing to do. Um, but uh, that's great. Uh, Colton, hopefully you have a great mission. Oh, I'm sure you will. It'll be wonderful. And I uh, hope that you like those those episodes and uh, that you listen through those. Um, I received, uh, I talked in the last episode about the high praise that I received from my son, where he said, when there's nothing else to do, it's there's a bet no better description of being a missionary yeah it's fine when there's nothing else to do missionary <laughs> well so i received from my my wife high praise oh. uh, she she listened to moroni part five and said you know that one was actually pretty good wow yeah. uh, so i'm glad that we could occasionally every that's really a, i mean we you have to have achievable goals so every fourth or fifth month one of our wives has to tell us that what we're doing isn't a complete waste of time. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, you know, it was actually, and and of course, it actually applies. That, yeah, actually, like, yeah, I was like totally stunned that it wasn't the worst dumpster <laughs> fire I've ever listened to. It was, it was okay. Yeah, that's where Rigdon gets it. Yeah, thanks, Beck. That actually uh, warmed my heart. It was very nice. This next email comes to us um, from Greg. Uh, also about missionaries, I heard you were willing to give free access to missionaries. My son is serving in Richmond, Virginia, the Idaho Falls of Virginia. The Idaho Falls of Virginia. That, that's actually what what Richmond calls itself. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Richmond's more the Pocatello, though, of Virginia. Well, I don't know. Richmond, even they, they're, they're going to feel more like their son Valley. It's more, it's more the Garden City outside of <laughs> Boise of Virginia. Um, those living in and around Garden City will find that mildly interesting. I got him listening to the podcast before his mission which I know he enjoys. I know he would love to have access to it again. Here is his email address. Uh, thank you for the time you spend putting the podcast together. It keeps me awake on the drive from Logan to Provo every other week. Otherwise, I'd take up drinking caffeine. Well, it's not a bad thing either way, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see. Uh, I, I always worry when people say, oh yeah, I only listen to you when I'm commuting. I'm like, just so everyone's aware, we're not liable if you fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. There I, sh we should have a disclaimer. We should. Like, Instead like, of like, not welcome operating. to the Standard of Truth podcast, it should be like, do not drive anything. <laughs> Operate heavy machinery. We're about to talk about early Latter-day Saint history, and you, you're going to know about it <laughs> until you fall asleep. Anyway, thank you very much for the kind emails again. We, we appreciate and read all of the emails and apologize we don't have the opportunity to get to all of them on the air, but appreciate uh, all the listeners that, that send in. And again, we love the missionaries. I, I think, and this this is obviously a, a tip of the cap to uh, um, Truman Madsen, 
where Garrett and I uh, listened to these things on our mission and where I gained a greater understanding, right. love, appreciation, and testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith and the restored gospel. And so if there's even even a fraction of a percentage. Yeah. We aren't even... We aren't even the shadow that would be cast by Truman Matson. Like we're not even close. But in a poor attempt uh, at trying to do honor to his name and memory, we're at least going to try to put stuff out that will be nowhere near as good as his. And I will say it does. It does. It does make me happy just to think of missionaries out doing all this wonderful uh, work and service of the Lord and occasionally some of them listening to something that you said as it relates to Joseph Smith and the restoration and and helping increase their testimony. We receive emails from missionaries that talk about how this helped me to understand this and to teach this better. And so that's that, uh, that warms my heart. It yeah. is lovely. Everyone else got to pay though. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Bring money. Um, <laughs> I don't think Richard was expecting that. He's uh, he's curled he's curled up on the floor right now. It's just it just does my heart well to think of missionaries. <laughs> but Greg, you gotta pay. Yeah, don't don't be don't be taking the content we send your son on his mission and then using it yourself You're for free. Log in as him. Yeah, my son. Sure, sure. Yeah, like I said. About half of our missionary emails at this point are being spoofed. That people are just sending things in. They all have like a backslash Uzbekistan in them now. So, and the names are all spelled wrong. Uh, anyway, um, speaking of missionaries, last week we started telling the story uh, that was shared with uh, a friend of the show, sister missionary in Pennsylvania, where uh, an antagonist called her up and claimed that Mormons in the early days in Pennsylvania had been trying to deceive people by fake walking on water by putting planks in the water. And then we, we, we went back and we read the original newspaper story that that story originated from. And then we kind of left everyone hanging. So if at this point you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's time to press pause and, and go back and listen to last week's episode. Then just completely delete this episode and move on to the next. No, th th this one we're going to talk about. The, we talked about that newspaper account, but let's talk about what follows after it. We said that it spread everywhere. And it spread everywhere to the point that by uh, just a little bit later in the year, the Latter-day Saints felt as if they had to actually respond to this widespread rumor. So in the church's newspaper, the Evening and Morning Star, they publish in April, in their April issue, uh, 1834. So again, just weeks after this. The following is taken, this is from the newspaper. The following is taken from the Philadelphia, from, uh, the Philadelphia paper. Uh, the Saturday Courier of April 19th. So this is just a couple weeks after this little allegation. Now it's spreading everywhere. Now, of course, once some of these larger papers get a hold of it, well, then it's going to spread even, even faster. This is the commentary that is given uh, by the paper. 
Some two or three years since, a similar story was hatched up by, we presume, the priests or their dupes. But we had supposed that it had either gone back to the native region to dwell with its author, the father of lies. So this is the Latter-day Saint editor <laughs> providing commentary on this false story, right? Some two or three years since, a familiar, a similar story was hatched up, we presume, by the priests or by their dupes. Now notice the, the Latter-day Saints here are fighting a little bit of fire with fire. Like, oh, you're saying that only people who believe this are because they've been duped. Well, if you believe this story, you were duped. Yeah. Right. Uh, but we had supposed that it had gone back to its native region to dwell with its author, the father of lies, or like its first promulgator from him, sunk into disgrace to rise no more. And that's a very illustrative of the story, right? The sinking into the mud and the father of lies, of course, being in hell. And he thought maybe the story had gone back to hell as well. That's the... Um, Notice, though, that they say that this story has actually been circulating earlier than we said. Yeah, three years. Yeah, that at least they said some two or three years since. So so people have heard this story before, which now means that whatever person went and visited the newspaper in New York to tell them, oh, I've got some juicy information for you, they weren't reporting on something that had recently happened. They're reporting on something that had to have happened a long time ago. Look, the church has only been around for four years, and I mean, it, it's only had followers, you know, for, for four and a half, basically. So it can't be that long ago, but it's certainly not a contemporary event, according to this response from the church's newspaper. But in this, we were mistaken, the idea that it would go away. There are yet men to be found who are willing to exert every possible power to circulate, not only circulate, but frame falsehoods of every description and every enormity that has not a parallel in the annals of world since the creation. And such as any man of common sense would know from the face of them were impositions. These are carried to the four winds and peddled out by wholesale by those who profess to cultivate the science and morals of mankind and are swallowed by the greedy multitude who are led haltered by tradition and priestcraft by such as pretend to proclaim righteousness. I mean, how do you really feel? Um, they then go on to publish the entire article. And then there's some commentary provided at the end of it. After again the the you know the 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 Mormon preacher again not named Joseph Smith yet. The the initial one isn't saying anything about Joseph Smith. He walks out on the planks, but they'd sawed away one of the planks. I mean, sawed it away from the from the bog it was resting on. I mean, this entire story defies not only physics, it just defies logic, but um and then the preacher drowns in the four to five inches of water, but which was much deeper at that part. So maybe six inches. Well, eight to nine, according to the university of Rochester. Well, I mean, we, 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 they don't have the specific survey though. That's the problem. <laughs> we do not expect to, so this is what the, the newspaper commentary from the Latter-day Saints is. We do not expect to make this fool-figured article appear any more ridiculous in the minds of discerning individuals than it really is. 
but it is just that such as pretend to correct the morals and improve the condition of the public with stated periodicals should be informed of their ignorance for giving publicity to a tale when with a thimble full of brains, they <laughs> might know that it was not only foolish, but false. So who, who's, who's writing this? I mean, likely the, the, uh, there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some, some Phelps probably as well as, uh, you know, Joseph Smith is doing some of the editing as well. Um, and Oliver Cowdery. So, I mean, they don't call out every issue to say this is who edited this issue. Yeah, that's a but, good question. But the thimble. Yeah. yeah, that's very funny. The thimble of, of brains. Um, firstly, it says, in a town where the delusion had made numerous converts, etc., will the messenger or courier or even the gentleman who first told the lie to the messenger prove that the doctrine believed by the society who are reproachfully called Mormons is a delusion? So notice this is something we noticed as we read. Well, we already know that this is not an objective article because it started off with there was a delusion in town. So the Latter-day Saints are pointing this out. From the first line, you're saying you know it's a delusion. How do you know that it's a delusion? How'd you learn that? What's your source on that? Right? But there was a pond, but but there was a pond in the western part of the state of New York extending over a large piece of ground and only a small part of it, but what was just covered by a thin sheet of water and the bottom was sufficiently hard to hold the weight of a man, and yet it was necessary to lay planks over it, even though the whole point, it was hard enough to already hold the weight of a man. It was necessary to lay planks over it as well as uh, the other part. A large concourse of people collected to witness the miraculous performance of this wonderful person. Where did they come from? We suppose from New England or some other distant country, as none of them knew that the pond to be traversed was a shoal and that the bottom was sufficiently hard to bear the weight of a man. So yeah, it clearly wasn't people from the neighborhood, even though the article said it was people from the neighborhood because people from the neighborhood would be like, yeah, that's Bill's pond. You can walk right across that thing. That's not a miracle. So they, had, they, had, they all traveled there for this event. Okay. Um, so the, so the suspect, found out the secret and the playing of a trick sent a man into eternity the quote delusion had gained numerous converts but these poor creatures being so blinded with the deception that they had actually forgotten that the pond was a shoal alas just as the miracle wrought by the powerfully wrought powerfully upon the minds of the assembly as though the truth of god hung upon the event down went the, the quote, imposture, and down went the, quote, delusion. And there the matter ends, without recovering the body to give it another burial, or calling an inquest that an official account might be published to the world, we suppose that it could not be found in consequence of the mire. <laughs> now, that's funny. <laughs> because, again, I pointed out without even, without reading this, that when, when you're claiming someone died, then we have evidence of that. 
In almost all cases, you will have some report that the person is dead. At least their family will say, (laughs) Bill didn't come home today. He must be either committing adultery or he died drowning in the pond pretending to walk on water. That's a eulogy I want to hear. (laughs) Bill, we need that to be your eulogy. We need, that's what we need from you. It goes on. Um, we suppose that it could not be found a consequence of the mire. Thus ends the tragical event as one man made his escape to tell the news. What was his name? (laughs) Query. Was not the, quote, gentleman who told the tale to the messenger employed in writing religious lies for the track peddlers to convert the world? If he is not, then we advise advise him that he may be. Will the courier ascertain the fact and inform us? So they pointed out basically all the things we pointed out. So let me get this straight. You have someone who doesn't have a name who told you all of this happened. There's nothing but inconsistency after inconsistency in the story, but we're going to publish it anyway. I'll tell you what. If that guy who told you isn't already writing anti-Mormon pamphlets, you should hire him to write anti-Mormon pamphlets. I mean, frankly, Richard was, you know, wonders sometimes why I get angry. But I think as we go through this... Yeah, it's, so th- the reason why we wanted to, to do this is, number one, it's, it's a fascinating story. And by the Everyone's way, I, on the edge of their seats. Well, and I could see, by the way, it would be great if President Holland could have a similar... Uh, you know, a similar address. I could see him, you know, with similar language to, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean that he would be, he would be angry. It, it, about well, it. just yeah. almost playful at the ridiculousness. Yeah. Of the, I mean, of it's thing. so ridiculous and absurd. And yet the church's newspaper has to take up a bunch of space to, to respond to it because so many people are reporting it as fact. Well, and so, and so, so again, this is one of those things where this is a ridiculous story. It's absolutely ridiculous. The The source is ridiculous. The story is ridiculous. The fact that it was printed in all of these papers all over the, the country, also ridiculous. Um, but what it does is it allows for you to make a larger point, and the larger point is the thing that is so incredibly frustrating. Yeah, that anti-Mormonism is ridiculous. Well... <laughs> oh, sorry. No, oh, oh, that was me being angry. Well, um, well no, but, but so it's... There are things, like you've, you've talked about, there are aspects to church history, there are aspects to church doctrine that people uh, have difficult time with, that maybe that they don't fully understand, or there's lots of different aspects of these things. But when a person just full on just lies about something, that's that's the thing where it's like, look. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if what we have to claim as truth is so, uh, is so obnoxious, then... Why would you need to lie about it? I mean, look, if if Mormonism is such a delusion that no possible person could possibly believe it, then why would you need to fabricate a story about someone trying to walk on water? I, I talked about this a few episodes ago that one of the things that you'll notice in propaganda is that people will try to discredit the people who oppose them on the other side by claiming that they are being tricked by claiming they're being paid by claiming that they're being deceived by claiming there's something in it for them. When, you know, Occam's razor, they might just be wrong. It's it's pretty easy to just be wrong. 
I mean, people are wrong about things all the time, but that doesn't give you any moral high ground to say, oh, these people, they think differently than me. How do I get moral high ground? Well, they think differently than me and they're clearly idiots. They're idiots because they believe some guy was walking on water when he wasn't. That's what poppycock. And, it, you know, these pejorative things, they, they have legs, as we said last time, because it's what people want to believe. Now, th- this is going to get widespread publication. It's going to be reprinted multiple times. Um, one of the earliest times where, so there is actually a track that's published in England, which attributes this entire story to it being Joseph Smith, not being, um, an unnamed unknown preacher. I mean, there's a lot of unnamed things in the story, right? The person who's informing you isn't, we don't know who it is in a place. Well, we don't know where it is. We do know that he is a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a gentleman. Well, that implies a certain level of uh, honor. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, we know, we don't know where it took place. We don't know when it took place. We don't know who the, preacher was who was apparently so popular that everyone came down to see him walk on water we have no other reports of this happening no contemporary reports no reports in any local newspapers who you might find this shocking are more than willing to publish antagonistic things about latter-day saints when they happen so you'd think then they they would do it we don't know the informant's name either right so no part of this that could be verified is supplied for it to be verified. But as I said, give it half a decade and there's already an anti-Mormon tract being published in England that's telling a similar story, only this time it's Joe Smith. Now, of course, as, as Richard pointed out, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big trick if Joseph dies uh, in 1834. But, you know, there he is uh, at the head of the, uh, the Zion's Camp March a few months later. Um, well, what, what does that mean? Uh, well, they, they changed the story. Then it's, well, Joseph, you know, was really embarrassed and struggled to the shore. and da, 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 da. He died of embarrassment. Well, he didn't die. No, he gets back. He, he, just everyone's proven. No, he died of embarrassment. Like, he, he was so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, oh, all the death shucks. was like, oh, man, uh, oh. I'm not going to be able to show my face around here again. <laughs> so there's a, 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 a gazetteer of Afton, New York, which is... A township, uh, it, it's it's in the location of where South Bainbridge was, where Joseph was married, when Joseph married Emma, when he runs off. So up up by Josiah Stoll's, by by where the Knight family was. Uh, we have about a half of an episode on Bainbridge, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we do. I, I mean, and we went on, on our last tour, we went to the, uh, uh, it's in Nineveh, the, the Joseph Knight home. Yeah. So, I mean, um, this, uh, is a gazetteer, which is like a, a, like a local history. This is published in 1869. Okay. So this is years after, uh, obviously Joseph's been dead for 25 years at this point, possibly 35. Well, we don't know how would the unnamed gentleman didn't tell us. So we don't even know that when this happened. And again, I have also said that you can always tell when someone is intentionally being disrespectful towards Joseph Smith by how they address him. So this is what this local county publication says. 1869. 
Joe Smith, okay, anyone who ever refers to him as Joe is an antagonist. You can mark it. Mark it down. If you're reading anything and they make a reference to him being Joe, it's a deliberate attempt to demean him. I have not yet, in all of my reading, I have not yet found a single place where one of Joseph's friends referred to him as Joe. I haven't found it. Now, I have found places where, you know, like Brigham Young will be giving a sermon and will say, well, all the, all the antagonists, you know, they came up and they said, down with Joe Smith, down with, I mean, when they're quoting what other people are saying pejoratively, then they'll say it, but they don't ever refer to him as Joe. We don't think anyone refers to him as Joe. What's crazy is how often official publications like this will do it because it is a way of throwing shade. It's a way of making, it's a way of belittling without, you know, oh yeah, Joe Smith, he said, right? Joe Smith, the founder of Mormonism, operated quite extensively in this town and vicinity during the early years of his career as prophet. Smith was born in Sharon, Windsor County, Vermont, December 23rd, 1805. When about 10 years of age, he removed with his parents to Palmyra, Wayne County, New York. The reputation of the family was very bad, and Joe was considered the worst of the whole. Oh. Yeah, look at all the sources they're citing there. Oh, there are, oh, well, there aren't any. Well, it's, it's so well known. Yeah, well, the reputation everybody, preceded yeah, them, everyone yeah. knows. Somewhere about 1828 or 1829... Smith made an appearance in Afton and attended school in District Number Nine. Well, I'm, I'm almost certain he didn't uh, attend school in, in District Number Nine, given given the fact that he wasn't going to school then. So I, I don't know what this means. Uh, he certainly isn't living in Bainbridge long enough. Now, maybe they mean in 1825 when he's there. That's possible. So then they're just wrong with their dates. Yeah, they they said about 1828. Or 1829. Well, why didn't they say about 1825 when he was actually there? Well, you're being a bit of a stickler. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like when once you decide that you're going to attack somebody, you kind of have to, I don't know, be right since you're attacking them for being wrong. Fair. Um, here, his supernatural powers manifested themselves by telling fortunes or foretelling futurity. This was done by placing a stone in a hat and then looking into it with it drawn over his face to exclude the light. He first organized a society at the house of Joe Knight. So now it's not just Joseph Smith that's getting the Joe treatment. Joseph Knight's getting the treatment. Uh, on the south side of the river near the Lobdell House in Broome County, excavations were made in various places where treasures and rocks containing iron pyrite were drilled for gold. Previous to digging in any place, a sheep was killed. We, we talked about this before, about the idea that they, they yeah. sacrificed an animal. Um, to convince the unbelievers that he did possess supernatural powers, Joseph announced that he would walk on water. The performance was to take place in the evening, and to the astonishment of unbelievers, he did walk upon the water, where it was known to be several feet deep only sinking a few inches below the surface. This proving a success, a second trial was announced, which bid fair to be as successful as the first. But when he had proceeded some distance into the river, he suddenly went down, greatly to the disgust of himself and his proselytes. But to the amusement of the unbelievers, it appeared on examination 
that planks were laid in the river a few inches below the surface. In the river? Now it's a river. Okay. And a few inches below the surface, but that you were still walking on it. It's, it we're losing some so, of the reasons why this would be effective so, here. So, but when when is that? Do you know when that tract is in, in England? 1838. Okay, so this is this is quite a distance. And I doubt this. I, my assumption is that um, they have no knowledge of the the England anti-Mormon tract. So is this the first then time? I mean, it's. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that definitively. Okay, because there might be somewhat thing else. Exactly, that exactly. Those kinds of rumors and stories. I mean, I would have to have access to every single newspaper that ever was published to be able to say for certainty nothing was said about it before. Okay, but but certainly but this here- would have gotten more widespread access because then other people later quote this. So so this Gazette is written, this Gazetteer's written, and then there are multiple county histories that are written in the 1880s and 1890s that are also New York histories Sourcing that this. use these yeah, source these okay. things. Yeah. All right. So Joseph River. Okay. Yeah. Now, now we know it's Joseph instead of uh, of, of just just some a Mormon preacher. preacher right. And notice Joseph doesn't die. And notice it's a river. But ah, oh, the planks, still the planks. Ah, oh, the only way to walk on water is planks. I'm sure that's what Jesus did. Anyway, um, uh, they were laid a few inches below the surface, and some wicked boys had removed a plank, which caused the prophet to go down like any other mortal. So let's. Let's think about this for a second. Again, back to the the first Latter-day Saint rebuttal of this. So Joseph's walking out in the water, and it looks like he's walking on the water. So regardless of what's going on there, however thick the plank is, we're talking at best two inches, maybe three and because they removed one of the boards that's on the ground on the bottom of the that Joseph plunges headlong into the water after that. So, but these boys were both aware of the planks, and then before the event, went and removed the planks. And, but Joseph wasn't aware, right? Even though you'd think the thing he would do would be to check his, test it. Yeah, I yeah. mean. You want to just jump yeah, on it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like going to a you know trampoline park. Just uh, all right. Does this? Uh, here we go. They're gonna hold me. I mean, of course, there's a whole bunch of other negative things in here. Now, of course, this Afton Town Gazetteer is is aware that that Latter Day Saints are thoroughly hated in 1869 in the United States. They are are one of the most universal pejoratives in the United States in 1869. And their little township is connected to it because there were a bunch of believers that were there like the Knights. So what does this township try to do? Tries to demonstrate how they had nothing to do with it, that this is all just garbage. So he's going to go on and say a whole bunch of other negative things about about Joseph. Uh, After pretending to heal the sick and cast out devils, he gained quite a number of followers, but at length came to grief by being prosecuted as an imposter. So then we're going to talk about the fact that Joseph was eventually put on trial for casting a spirit out of of Newell Knight. And so they're going to talk about that. And and it it kind of goes on uh, with that. That's kind of another story. Um, but this is a, a, 
a good example of how the story originally was one thing, but then to fit its needs, it needed to be something else. So now we're to believe that we do know where this took place. It took place there in Afton, right? But we're not told, as Latter-day Saints pointed out, for that to be the case, you would need a whole bunch of people from somewhere else there who didn't know the river, who didn't know, or pond, but now they're saying river. That's not what this account is saying. In fact, this account provides far less explanation of how this could actually work. At least the first guy is like, yeah, the reason why it worked is because like it was so hard and so shallow, but it didn't look like it was shallow, so they just put planks on the bottom. This one's just like, yeah, it's in the middle of the river, and like as soon as a plank was gone, you know, it was like seven foot of water. Well, so, but is this something that happens then regularly? You have one account that says one thing, then this account takes, it, it gives you a name of a person, and it gives you a location. So then I just take both of those accounts and combine them. And, and suddenly it becomes credible because now I know where it took place and I know that it was Joe Smith, the, the Mormon founder, right? Um, as to why the person who uh, accosted these sister missionaries said what they said, though, I think we can actually bounce forward uh, to one of the all-time terrible pieces of written literature that is pretending to be academic. And that is the book written by Fawn Brody called No Man Knows My History. Uh, I could spend uh, many episodes on this book, but frankly, look, the book at this point is 80 years old. Anyone who's quoting to you from a history book written 80 years ago uh, needs to get updated sources. But it is regularly quoted. Right. And it is regularly referenced. And, and why is it quoted regularly? Is it because it's new? Is it because it's cutting edge? Is it because the author has so many plaudits for her amazing work in the PhD field? No. Fawn Brody is essentially Casey Kasem. She she plays the hits. She plays the hits. Uh, with a countdown. Um, so she it, it, it's popular because it says to people what they want to hear. And, and you know, frankly, while she was a professor uh, at UCLA, her training was not in history at all. Undergraduate and master's degree were both in English. And um, she's going to leave the, she, she was a member of the church. She's going to leave the church and she's going to write this, uh, write this book. It is so dripping with inaccuracies and bias, but it just so happens to include this story. And so my guess is that, look, I'm not going to give that much credit to the person who called you sister. I, I, I very much doubt that they read all of Fawn Brody's book because that would require reading a book. And, and so my guess is they didn't. My guess is that on some anti-Mormon subreddit or blog, someone quoted that story from her book and that's why they called you up. Hey, let's, 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 let's take a journey. Let's, let's take a little trip. Well, and, and also, I mean, the, the end here, I mean, the, this particular thing he may have read online might not have even included the end, right? So maybe he... It, yeah, I mean, frankly, we don't really know. And that's what happens when you have someone who's doing a flyby anti-Mormonism. Yeah. When, they're, when, they're, when they're doing the, 
the uh, double somersault anti-Mormonism front flip, uh, you, you don't really know. I mean, they're not willing to tell you why they have the sources they have. But this is where uh, it it comes from. Um, this is uh, from page 83 is where this starts. Okay. Now, one of the things that Fawn Brody's trying to do is to try to demonstrate that Joseph Smith is like a lot of other people that are essentially religious zealots who are false prophets. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this just so you can understand the context. I don't want to be accused of taking it out of context. Although, again, if you're citing an 80-year-old book as your evidence for why something happened, then you don't understand sources and you need to to read something else. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, there are times that there are books that are so groundbreaking that, yeah, they, they stand the test of time. In the field of history, it's almost none of them. I mean, you would make reference to them when you're doing a historiography, but you wouldn't cite to it as being authoritative. Uh, in part because, and this is not any historian's fault, over the course of a hundred years, you're going to find hundreds of more documents. So if you take the conclusion of someone a hundred years ago, guess what? They won't even have the documents you have to make that conclusion. Now, maybe they'll still make a really bad conclusion in this case, probably, but they don't even have all of the documents. So while rival prophets like Isaac Bullard, Jemima Wilkinson, and Joseph Dilks suffered from no compulsion whatever to prove their pretensions, Joseph Smith, whether for a lack of self-confidence or the greater reasonableness of his nature, seems to have felt urgently the need for preparation and for confirming testimony. The Book of Mormon itself was not enough. He needed first three and then eight witnesses to its authenticity. And in later years, he continued to exploit facts or legends that would tend to support the book's historical accuracy. Hold on, hold on. So she's citing as... Uh, one of his problems or insecurities that he needed three or eight witnesses to confirm the particular thing that he's. We could do this with almost every single page of this book. It's the Book of Mormon isn't enough. He had to have witnesses, which also I are garbage. She would later claim right. So part. instead of so so, notice how she's turning things on exactly on their head, right? Rather than saying. Although it's really hard to believe the story that an angel brought gold plates to Joseph Smith, there were 11 witnesses who said that Joseph Smith had those plates and three of them who said he saw an angel. Now that's responsible. It is certainly an okay thing as a historian to say, that's a pretty hard tale to believe. And in fact, it's a miracle. So yes, she's actually arguing it from the other direction. Joseph Smith is so insecure Joseph Smith is such a charlatan that he, the, the fact that he had witnesses of the plates proves that he's a liar. Now, in what world does that exist? In what world does the fact that you have witnesses to an event prove that it didn't happen? I'll tell you whose world, Fawn Brody's world, that in her world, the fact that there were witnesses to it is proof that it's false. Or said no one ever that thing. <laughs> Let me go back to reading. Um, An apocryphal story about Jemima Wilkinson relates that one day she led her colony to the shore of Lake Seneca 
and told them that she was about to walk upon the water. She first, and now notice she said an apocryphal story. Now, whenever you hear the term apocryphal, what, what does that mean? I made up. Yeah, Not well, true. I mean, it, it doesn't. It's a legend. It's a, yes, it's, a legend. it's, it's, uh, what it means, especially when you're reading it in an academic sense and as, as crappy as that book is, it's at least purporting itself to be an academic work, right? It's claiming to be an academic work. Uh, it means that the scholar has no source for it. It means I've tried to track down the source for it, and all I found was rumors and, hey, someone 90 years later saying this happened. And so when whenever you hear a scholar say it's an apocryphal story, it's a way of them saying, I don't have a source for this, but I still want to talk about it because it tries to prove the point that I want to make anyway, even though I don't have a source for it. They don't write that, though, because that's a, that doesn't read as well. Um, I mean, look, we, we just got done having a conversation about the fact that the very fact that Joseph Smith had witnesses of the Book of Mormon proved that it wasn't true. I mean, so how, how would that work? So I'm in a car accident. Yeah, uh, I, I'm very badly injured. Yeah, and then you go you go to the court and and the judge says, "Are there any witnesses of of the accident?" Yes, I have eleven witnesses. Well, there were three in the car, and then there yeah, were three in the car. There were eight people watching. Uh, you know, the eight people lifted the car off of me after the guy ran the stop sign. So you have eleven witnesses. What we have eleven witnesses of what happened, and the judge saying, "Well, that proves there wasn't even a car accident. Cars don't exist, and you, sir, aren't even a real person." Case dismissed. I mean, that's that's essentially where she's at. The very fact that Joseph had witnesses proves he can't possibly be telling the truth. Um, in any event, she is saying that that this is an apocryphal story about Jemima Wilkinson, which you'll notice there is no footnote because it's apocryphal. Which she she's clearly getting it from somewhere. So why doesn't she tell us where she's getting it from? Because the source is so bad that it would make her look bad to give the source. So the source is too bad for this book. Which is saying, look, if there's any Jemima Wilkinson fans out there, I'm sorry. Because anyway, this is what she says. An apocryphal story about Jemima Wilkinson relates that one day she led her colony to the shore of Seneca Lake and told them that she was about to walk upon the water. First, however... She tried to the surface gingerly, and when her toes broke through, she turned back unabashed to the shore, saying coolly that her followers' faith was already of such prodigious strength that no miracle was necessary. Now, notice what we had already said before. This whole, oh, I'm going to try to walk on water ruse, right? Like painting it as a ruse was being used by by people in the majority against other religious minorities, right? Oh yeah, she she said she was going to walk on water, but when she realized she couldn't, she just said, oh, my followers have so much faith I don't need to because that makes her seem ridiculous, right? So after having told that ridiculous story, she moves on. There is a similar and equally apocryphal story about Joseph Smith. Okay, so she's acknowledging what you'd have to, and that is there's no source for this. Okay, an equally apocryphal story about Joseph Smith, which holds that he too boasted that he would walk upon the water, but that he secretly built a plank bridge underneath the surface of the pond. Again, 
Notice Ms. Brody doesn't take the time to explain how in the world that would actually work. Well, what she does do, though, is she does combine those two sources. She's now combining both sources. Yep. She's taking uh, the later source that's made at Joseph Smith and the earlier source and mashing them together as two terrible sources. Um, uh, The public demonstration was a noteworthy success until he reached the middle when, thanks to mischievous boys, instead of planks, he trod on water and barely escaped drowning. So, so, so now Joseph almost drowned, like the original story of the preacher drowning, only Joseph obviously didn't drown. Uh, I mean, now, probably the greatest, the greatest problem of what uh, her inclusion of, of this is, is that her final sentence of that paragraph is, Baseless though this story may be, it is nonetheless symbolic. I got to tell you, I have a PhD in history, and I have read a lot of garbage in my day. I have read literally millions of words, some some great arguments, some terrible, some some that are middle of the road, many of them boring, anything that Richard's produced, right to sleep, right? I don't know that I've ever read a worse summation sentence of a garbage water source of that. Here's a source that I don't have a source for that claims this antagonistic thing about Joseph Smith. It can't be proven. There's no way to demonstrate it. I don't have a source for it, but baseless though the story may be, it is symbolic. Symbolic of what? The horrific historian you are? That The, the only symbolism I see here is when I don't have a source, but I still want to say something really negative I'm going to just invent one. And no, you don't get away just by saying it's an apocryphal story. Because how is it that I'm able to track down where it originates, but you're not, right? I mean, you I'm sure you could have. You just didn't want to because then it would demonstrate what a terrible story. Because it wasn't about Joseph Smith at all in its original iteration, right? So... I can't trace it back to the original because then it sounds like it's not even Joseph Smith. And I just said, let me tell you something about Joseph Smith that shows how he boasted and shows about his, 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 his inexperience and shows about, it's not even a story about him, but baseless though this story may be, it's symbolic. I can't imagine a more poorly written sentence. I just supplied you with a story that has no source, that has no evidence, that is clearly a, a, a folk tale that changes over the course of time. It's baseless. It's baseless, but still useful. I, why in the world would anything that's baseless be useful? I mean... Again, imagine the politician that you don't like from the other party. Imagine. Put that person in your mind. Can you imagine a world where 
you hear a story about them, which is incredibly negative, and then it's proven definitively that it never actually happened. And saying the words, well, even though there's no evidence that it happened and it obviously didn't happen, he's still the kind of person that would do that. I mean, if you find yourself in a place where evidence doesn't matter to you at all, then, you know, I I kindly suggest that you take a pretty big step back if you get to the point where evidence doesn't matter at all. So, Garrett, people might be thinking, okay, well, this is just a, a silly story that's ridiculous. That Much I mean, like the podcast. <laughs> so it's on brand. But this this didn't happen. This is ridiculous. Why why are you so upset about something that's just so silly and, and trivial? No, this isn't taking anybody's testimony. This isn't taking anybody away from the gospel. What is it about this that's making you so so angry and upset? Well, first of all, I'm sure it has taken some people away from the gospel. I mean – I, I'm going to guess that the guy who called the missionaries up and used it as his coup de gras, his amazing evidence that Mormonism is false. Um, I, I'm going to guess that there's other people that he's talked to about it. I mean, these silly stories that seem, you know, that seem silly to us when people don't have proper context, right? I mean, someone's saying, Oh, you know, I've been, I've been reading the book of Mormon. And that guy says, Oh, wait, you should, you, you should know that Joseph Smith's such a fraud that there are like actual proof. There's like actual proof that he tried to walk on water by putting boards underneath the water just to lie to everybody. And you're going to believe that now. Now that person who's just in the original stages of listening and thinking, they might stop there. They might stop their inquiry at that point. Now you hope that they don't, but if the person who's saying it to them is someone that they respect or someone they think is intelligent, they might. But in, in addition to that, it, it is it, it's symbolic of kind of the pattern and it's way that baseless people, though symbolic. Well, but it, it is baseless though symbolic, and that that is more of the pattern, the way that people do things. And again, you've you've said this many many times, but the idea of somebody coming with something that is a difficult thing or a challenge versus something that's just a blatant lie. Right. And that's uh, basically what we're dealing with here. The very fact that the church had to respond to a made up lie from an anonymous source at an anonymous time in an anonymous place about an anonymous person dying. And that that somehow turns into, it was actually Joseph Smith, but don't worry, he didn't die, but don't worry. We eventually did kill him. I mean, the, the, the reality is it's frustrating because This is something that's important to people. And the very people who claim, well, I'm just trying to tell people the truth. I'm just trying to get people the truth. Apparently are also the people who don't care about sources and who don't care about truth. It's fine that not everyone's a Latter-day Saint. Not everyone's going to be a Latter-day Saint. And thankfully, because I'm a Latter-day Saint, I know that everyone's going to be saved anyway. I already, I don't believe in the hell that I keep getting condemned to. So, so it's not as big an issue for me. At the same time, when people from a position of trust and authority claim that they know the insides of how something actually happened and they are falsifying sources or are using sources that they know are fraudulent, well, then, then what are we talking about? We're talking about destroying people's lives and testimonies. And you're right. 
there's probably not a whole lot of people listening who are like, well, I was on my way to the temple and I heard Joe Smith put planks in the water and that's it. And I'm out. There's probably not a lot of people doing that. At the same time, it is symbolic of the type of antagonistic literature that is directed at Joseph Smith. When Joseph Smith finally uh, commissions the, the history to be written, right? When he, when he finally says, okay, that's it. We need to actually write a history of the church. It's not a surprise that the way he opens it is this way. Owing to the many reports which have been put into circulation by evil disposed and designing persons in relation to the rise and progress of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, all of which have been designed by the authors thereof to militate against its character as a church and its progress in the world. I have been induced to write this history, to disabuse the public mind, and to put all the inquirers of truth in possession of the facts as they have transpired in relation both to myself and the church so far as I have such facts in my possession. The, the beginning paragraph of Joseph Smith's history is explaining why he has to write it in the first place. Why do I have to write it? I have to write it because of all of the lies that are being circulated. And notice, by evil disposed and designing persons. That means it's not just a casual accident. Someone did it deliberately. I, I had a, a friend of mine recently who was reading something and it was a kind of one of these conspiracy theory books, you know, that, that claims that there's some kind of wider conspiracy that's going on and, and everyone's controlling everything, right? It, it was one of those. And this author, in order to prove the point about how global and nefarious the history is, made a claim that involved Brigham Young being involved in it. And so this person who didn't know it had anything to do with Mormonism at all, you know, called me up and they said, hey, have you heard about this? And we went through the sources to demonstrate that it was completely made up, this claim. And because she really wanted to believe the rest of the book, she said, well, I, I, I'm sure that he didn't really even know that that would be taken as a negative bringing that up. And I said, well, I guess you could think that, but here's the reality. Whoever this author is knew enough to know who Brigham Young was and to know that Latter-day Saints are viewed nefariously. And the entire point of this entry was to claim that Brigham Young was that, that it was so nefarious that even Brigham Young was involved. That's deliberate. It's not an accident. It's a way of driving home your political point that is treading on the backs of both truth and a persecuted religious minority. That, that's the reality. So look, was this the most important thing? Did we really need to spend two podcasts on it? I guess not. But hopefully what it reinforces to everyone is sources matter. 
before you get upset about literally anything you read or hear, you need to know what the original source is. And then you need to take a little bit of time, use a little bit of your own logic, use a little bit of your own spirit of discernment, and and not jump to conclusions. Look, Joseph Smith was promised that his name would be had for good and evil among all nations and people, right? Everyone's going to say that. So we shouldn't immediately, as soon as we hear something negative, assume that it must in fact be true. I, I know that there is a lot of negative. I, I hear a lot of negative. I have people email me negative. I, I get it. I know there's a lot of negative. And that's exactly what the angel promised Joseph was going to happen. And and look, we are not a very big religion. We, we are teeny in, in the size of the world. And the outsized response of people desperate to prove that it's not true, in and of itself, I think, demonstrates something about, about the character of the church and its rise and its progress. Now, the other thing, too, is to always stop and realize when you have a story that can't be verified like that, when it's something troubling about church history that you don't know the if, ands, or buts about, you need to stop and say, okay, so would this then prove that Joseph Smith was not a prophet of God? If, in fact, this, is, this story were true in some way, would it prove that Joseph Smith was not a prophet of God? The reality is there is only one way for every person listening to know whether or not Joseph Smith was a prophet, and that is through the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. No matter how much we study, no matter how logical we want to be, it is the same way that we know whether or not Jesus is our Savior. You can't prove it. You can't argue it. You can't logically make it work. The only way you can know that Jesus is your Savior is by the Holy Spirit. And that that same Savior appeared to Joseph Smith multiple times gave him the power to translate the Book of Mormon, to receive the dozens and dozens and dozens of revelations that fill the Doctrine and Covenants that completely transform our understanding of who we are, why this earth exists, what our purpose is, who the God we worship is. That is important knowledge. And we can't simply trade it away because we don't have the answers to everything. So hopefully people found this interesting. At the very least, I want to have at least a few of our listeners try putting planks of wood in a pond to see if they can walk on water and maybe get out of doing their home teaching. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.